three, two, one. You ready? You're listening to the Real Pineapple Podcast Network. everybody thank you so much for listening we are the real pineapple this is hunter here and i've got uh well he, he you know he is an official member but i'll also uh, shout out his podcast here the kj and oj podcast we got him on the loan here got oj here oj how you doing sir hola <laughs> god didn't, didn't know you spoke spanish <laughs> uh mas o menos it, it, I, I, I didn't take Spanish in high school. I have no more idea. or less, more or less. Fair, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I took, I took French, but um, so we're talking about glass today, and I will say, we, we, we talk about this, you know, um, the fact that sometimes we'll see, you know, critical reception on something. We go, eh, it seems a little weird. Um, I cannot stress enough, and we talked about this going into the movie. The the Rotten Tomato score on this is thirty it's like thirty six thirty six percent, and the audience score seventy eight percent. So that's a forty two percent difference, which is kind of absurd. So going in, I was really curious to see, you know, was the audience more correct? Were the critics more correct? And uh, yeah, uh, critics were completely wrong on this. I thought this was a uh, I thought this could have really, you know cracked under its own weight wink but, but but honestly i enjoyed the hell out of this man uh yeah kind of your thoughts going in well you know this falls into the same thing as last jedi critics loved it but i fucking hated it um this this movie though is the opposite in the case where the critics are not kind to it at They're all not. uh but i really enjoyed the hell out of it so I will say, um, it, it, another plug here, go on the KJ and OJ podcast on SoundCloud and listen. I think it's about two and a half hours, the, uh, your guys' review for Last, Last Jedi. It's, it's but, longer than the movie. But honest to God, it is worth it to hear OJ just, the masterclass of just hatred. It, it's similar to how I feel for Tyler Perry movie. Like you, you listen to it and you go, man, OJ really didn't like Last Jedi. And, really didn't. And, and, but critics love it though. They do. And, yeah. And, and thing I fall in the middle. Like I thought it was oh, uh, uh, me, me and Alea went saw it. We just left the theater. We went okay. You know, Yoda was there, which was cool. Uh, That's about it. Though. Uh, you get you get the great Jedi mind trick at the end. Uh, that that actually bumped it up a half a, a half grade for me. I, I thought that was just a cool like oh shit. But yeah, Rogue One's way better. Solo's better than it, and people didn't. The critics kind of shit on Solo. Yeah, yeah. So you could definitely say that Glass follows more under a Solo line than uh, anything else. But I just find that fascinating, though, because I love Solo. I went, that was an absolute blast. Why didn't more critics like that? And then, and I actually went back. I know you haven't done it yet. I went back and watched The Last Jedi start to finish, and I just went, yeah, I I, I don't get why people love this so much. Well, I, I've tried, though. You have, yeah. I just can't get through it. <laughs> I, mean, I think that says something right there. You just yeah. can't. That you can't. <laughs> I really can't. You just can't find a way to get through it. But um, so on our channel, we reviewed. Uh, we reviewed Split uh, when it first came out. Uh, go check out that review if you haven't. Uh, I I'm a huge fan of Split, and we actually just uploaded a, 
Unbreakable 2. So we talked about that. Huge fan of Unbreakable 2. Um, so going into this, this had a lot to live up to. I will say it is the weakest out of the three, but at the same time, that's not a bad thing. It's just because the first two are so great that almost by proxy, this had to be the worst out of three. But this is a satisfying conclusion to me, which I go, okay, like this wrapped up things well, while also maybe setting up for more sequels, perhaps, but we'll get there. So uh, the movie starts off with uh, Patricia, played by uh, one of my man crushes, James McAvoy, who is just... That dude, he he is just a treasure, and he's a uh, he's Sco- uh, Scottish, right? Ah, uh, he's I yeah. I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure he's Scottish. Yeah. I I I could have sworn, but uh, he's definitely not from here. Uh, you know, hashtag build the wall. But uh, but, <laughs> but, but but no, but McAvoy is uh, he's fucking wonderful. Yeah, uh, uh, Glass, he's from Glasgow. There you go. Yeah, but he's just he's great in this, and so the movie opens up with Patricia. He's got, um, or she's got, what, I want to say it's five, uh, five girls, maybe? Four or five girls. Four or five. Um, uh, uh, handcuffed to a, to a pipe, just in this, like, old factory, and he's doing the whole, what, you know, what, which of you would like a PB and J? Like, even the fact he's asking him for food, it's just really unnerving just to open the movie, and I went, okay, this is, this is really quite creepy. And then it cuts to, uh, Bruce Willis is David Dunn, who I talked about on your guys' review of this. It's it's weird to see Bruce Willis in something good because this feels like it's been <laughs> it's, it's been, been a while. it has been a while. Um, I mean, there was that point where you know he had like Pulp Fiction and you know the the Die Hard movies, and I actually like Red, uh, not not the second one so much, but he did like Moonrise Kingdom. Like he's done he's done some stuff, but it's been outside the 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 glorified, and they are glorified cameos in those Expendable movies. Um, since 2012, back when he did Looper, it's been a lot of crap. So let me just, let me just go through some of the stuff that he's done. Uh, Death Wish, not great. Um, oh, God. Once upon, uh, Once upon a Time in Venice, not great. Uh, Vice, not great. Uh, uh, a Dame to Kill For, uh, not not <laughs> great. I love the first and second like one, meh. Uh, G.I. Joe Retaliation. Uh, a Good Day to Die Hard. Uh, I was just going to say, he was the best part of G.I. Joe Retaliation, that, in that, my opinion. I mean, that's fair, but, you know, <laughs> at the same time, it's like being the best thing in a piece of crap doesn't really... <laughs> I, I, I get that, I but, do. But I will give you that, though. He was the best part. Like, when he, you know, like when he's in the back of the car and he's shooting the gun, I was like, okay, like this kind of works, but it's still... Mm. Uh, but... First of all, this has been a lot of crap. But watching this, I went, "Oh my god, he's he's acting. He's emoting. He's he doesn't look really sad. Like he's already cashed a check in his mind." I was like, <laughs> I was like "This is all fucking amazing." And so pretty early on, and I'd like to give you credit for this because we talked about this off mic. You were saying this the the fight scene early on in that factory between uh, David and the Beast. Um, you said that that was probably at the beginning of the movie, and Congrats, you nail on the head. You, oh, were, thank to- you, thank you. you were totally right. Uh, it's the beginning of the movie, and it leads to them getting captured by uh, Sarah Paulson's uh, Dr. Uh, Ellie Staple. So I'll say this about Sarah Paulson. I really I really like her and so much shit that she does. Uh, she did this movie, Carol, with Rini Mara, where she's like in a lesbian relationship, like 
because this uh, lesbian affair with Rooney Mara. I love that movie. Uh, Ocean's Eight, uh, which I saw a lot, uh, saw this past year. She was great in that. Um, I hate her in Twelve Years of Sleep, but she's great in it. Um, she's been in a lot of stuff that I've really enjoyed the last five years. Um, the problem is when I see Rooney, uh, not Rooney Mara, when I see uh, Sarah Paulson, I'm almost waiting for her to be terrible. Not like terrible acting wise, but like her character is terrible. And so when I saw her, I went, I don't know what it is about you, but I don't trust you. <laughs> it's, it's something about you that just sets me off. And we'll get there. And I will say that my uh, suspicions were very well warranted as far as uh, as far as her being terrible. Um, so she basically takes him to this uh, not, not an insane asylum. What do you call it? Like a, like a psych ward? Yeah, it, it's, it's a psychiatric hospital. Yeah. yeah. I mean... They're, they're, they're not saying, like, hey, you're crazy, but you're, what would you say, quote, disturbed, unquote, maybe, like... I would say, I know the crazy, like, I mean, some of the things they show at the end, where they're having the, um... So, like, you notice she... Okay, towards the end of the movie, there's a spot where she tells the, the orderlies to keep the patients in their rooms. Um, and the patients do that... Granted, it's a bit of a trope when addressing mental illness and especially, like, on a very visual scale. They are doing that that crazy shuffle, as I like to call it, <laughs> That's... Where, where they're literally shuffling their feet around and, and that kind of thing to show that they're not all there with their faculties. So um, I would definitely say it hinges on the crazy. That's that, that's fair. I, I think what's interesting about it, though, is that uh, Samuel Jackson, uh, as Elijah Price, uh, Mr. Glass, he, uh, he barely says a word the first, what, two-thirds of the movie? Mm-hmm. I mean, he is quiet, and so he's having to give probably the most difficult performance because he just isn't, you know, he's having to just emote. And I think people don't give Samuel J- Jackson enough credit, you know, because he's been looking like a bald pirate for the last 10 years playing Nick Fury or, you know, or he just yells, you know, motherfucker. That's what you, you know, that's what you think of with him. But um, nobody yells motherfucker quite like him. Very true. Like, I, yeah, that, that is very true. But he is a damn, he's a damn good actor. And um, I, I know a lot of people don't love this movie. You're wrong. I love The Hitman's Bodyguard. I think that movie's fucking hilarious. Um, but he's been in a lot of shit I've really enjoyed. Um, especially the last decade, uh, we won't count old boy because that wasn't great, but he he did his best, you know. But and I loved him in that uh, that Robocop remake. I thought he was actually him, and Michael Keaton, were actually my favorite parts of it. Actually, I really like that movie in general. So I mean, I have a lot of things to like about it. But his performance is one that kind of really rooted it to back towards that original one. So yeah. So what's interesting about the movie is that you you see the part in the trailer where Elijah. Uh, Kevin Crumb and then David David Dunn are all in the room and uh, Dr. Ellie Staples kind of asking him, like, convince me that, you know, that you're not crazy. And I will say, eh, how do I put this? As someone who's a bit of a conspiracy theorist, I, I believe, you know, like, I think Hollywood puts out a movie every, like, maybe two or three years. That's basically the government kind of going, like, Hey, this exists, but wink, Hollywood. The first time I saw Men in Black, I was like, "Yep, I." There's no part of me that doesn't believe that some of this exists. It's like, especially the whole demoralizing thing. I went, "Yeah, I can see that." That's basically what a lobotomy is. So I'm like, mm, "Okay, a mobile lobotomy? Yeah, we probably have that somewhere." Uh, so when she's pretty much calling them crazy, I went, 
Yeah, I think you're crazy. I think you're trying to rationalize this uh, scientifically. And I really do believe that there's just stuff that occurs that can't be explained. I mean, Unsolved Mysteries is a perfect example of that. You know, which they're bringing back, by the way. Hell yeah, I'm stoked for that. I love these Unsolved Mysteries. What would be seen without Robert Stack, though? True. I'm curious what we'll get. Who's who's the creepiest guy you could get to host that thing? Ooh. Um... Ooh, I don't know. I mean, huh, let me think. Mike Pence is busy. Uh, <laughs> so, da, 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 da. Well, well, he's not a TV personality. Yeah, he's a yeah. real deal scary. Yeah, <laughs> it barely has a personality. <laughs> also uh, true. Yeah, um, I don't know who you'd get to host that. That's a really good point, because I forgot he, he had passed on. Um, yep. Yeah, I don't know who you get to host that. That's a, that's a, I'll have to think about that, but... It is interesting because Sarah Paulson really is trying to convince them that it's all in their heads. And yep. I think one of my few complaints is that we've, we've been there already. And I mean that in the sense of an unbreakable, you know, David rightfully so when Elijah is convinced, trying to convince him, look, you're, you know, you're special. You have these powers. And David's like, no, no, no. Get away from me, crazy handicapped man. Wait, <laughs> you know, stop chasing me. But there's that point where he believes it. So when... Ellie brings that back up, and David not doesn't fully buy in, but there there's that point, and it's a great kind of face shot of Bruce Willis where he kind of looks at her, and for half a second you think he might be buying into it. And I went, don't buy into this. You you've been here before. You know that. You know she's being silly, and you know of course where it ends up with her, um, it explains why. That was just a kind of a a complaint I did have because I could kind of see. Um, Kevin buying into it to an extent, but seeing David buy into it slightly, I was like, eh, I was like, all right, I don't love that. Kind of your thoughts on that? So, there's one thing in that scene that I, I couldn't put my finger on it last night, and I realized it now in terms of what bothers me about that scene. Okay. So, she's all convinced me, right? Like yeah. you, were, you were talking about. He's chained up during that whole scene. Yeah. I think the chains alone is enough to convince. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, because he's the only one not... He's the only one restrained. That's a very good point. And he's... I mean, like... I'm surprised he doesn't go take off these chains and let me show you. I'll be honest. I was sitting there thinking, like, you could break these. Like He could. Like, like easily could have broken those. So I was sitting there kind of like, okay, like... I don't think they had the water set up around him during that. No, I don't think so. I didn't yeah. see any, I didn't see any hose, uh, or or actual hoses. <laughs> but, the hoses were in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, exactly. But 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 really though, um, he could have broke those chains. Chains. Yeah. yeah. I'm shocked that he didn't. Um, and yeah. or shocked that he didn't reference them. Yeah. So that's just one glaring omission for me. No, and, and that's totally fair. Um, what is great, though, about it is that, you know, at least them being, uh, it leads to seeing Kevin have to go through his personalities. You know, he goes mm-hmm. through Patricia and Dennis. Um, in that scene, uh, you get some Hedwig, too. And that is one of my other complaints. I thought Hedwig was used a little bit too much here for comedy. That was something that I felt, and in awkward points, too. I felt like there were points where Hedwig would pop up, and I'd go, all right, like, this is supposed to be serious. And there were a couple points, um, we we even saw it with uh, several of our friends. Um, I looked over at Leia at a couple points, and I went, 
why are people laughing at this? Like, they shouldn't be laughing at this part, mm-hmm. you know? And, and we were in a packed theater, too. People were laughing, like, you know, like, ha-ha, I'm like, okay, this isn't the time to laugh. Like, Well, Hedwig's an interesting uh, personality among the among all of them. Yeah. Because he's given the light so much. Yeah. And again, it's not, because again, like, how do they say it in, your, in Split, um... Hedwig's given the light so much. I'm trying to remember exactly why. I mean, it's like he's like the only one that can keep Kevin out of the light. I believe so. I believe that's what it is. Right. Yeah. And so you combine that with the Forever Nine. Which it, I which I love that Mr. Glass brings it up as part of his superpower later. Yeah. That was something I thought was very well done. Yeah. So, I mean, like I could see where even though it feels very out of place where it makes sense for it to be there in terms of 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 uh for Hedwig in those kind of funny moments because again an, a 9 year old they're going to think things differently than anyone else true so i get your point but i also am like all right i can see why okay fair, fair enough um the thing i love is that when you finally do hear Mr. Glass talk uh there's one of the people who's working at the the hospital and I'll be honest, I'm sitting there the whole movie thinking, why are you getting so close to him? Like, he has such a low center of gravity. If he has something to stab you with, you're you're, you're beyond fucked. And, of course, right. that's exactly what happens, you know, this guy. So they explain how Mr. Glass is is acting, you know, like he's been drugged up and sedated. And what, has he been, like, swapping out the pills or, like, the yeah, doses amount? with, with uh, aspirin. Yeah. And hiding the pills in uh, part of his wheelchair. Yeah, which I went, that's fucking clever. I was like, right. okay. And I do... And I was sitting there, I'm like, they, you are just underestimating this this motherfucker. I did appreciate too that his uh his night his gown was lavender. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm like that's oh like M Night, you, you you get this. Um, one guy I want to give some credit to is a uh, Spencer uh, Spencer Treat Clark, who's uh, Joseph Dunn, his uh David's son. It's the same actor. Yep. Too. Unbreakable. Yeah. He looks good too. Oh, yeah. Like, he's aged well. And he's I, aged really well. Yeah. He's a, he's a good looking dude. He is. I hope he, I really hope he gets more shit. Like, I was really, like, sitting there watching him in this. I went, man, I'm really, like, I'm digging his performance here. And I like where his character ends up. Um, I have made no uh, secret about my huge crush on, on Taylor Joy, who I think is just gorgeous as all get out. She gets a lot. She gets a lot more to do at the end. She's like her and Joseph don't have a lot of screen time, but they maximize the amount of screen time that they have. I thought where um, you see her in Split, she's like a broken character, and she's like looking down her feet and not looking people in the eye. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to see that her piece of shit uncle got thrown away as well. He should have, and she's at this, she's had this foster family now that loves her and is nice to her and. Oh my god, doesn't abuse her. What a fucking concept. And how she's, you know, dressing up. She's dressing cute. She's definitely more confident. And um, when she goes to talk to, to, to Kevin, I believe she meets Dennis. I think it's Dennis first. That yeah, I, 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 I want to say it's Dennis. I know she talks to Dennis at a point. Is but, it Dennis or Barry? You know, I think it's Barry. I think it's Barry and then it transitions to... I, I, I think it's Barry because... Wait, which one was the OCD one? Blue that was Barry. The one who was like, your clothes are dirty. Change your clothes. It's yeah, Barry, right? I think that was Barry. I, I'm fairly certain it's Barry she talks to at first. Yeah, but when they... When she interacts with him, 
and it interacts with Dennis. I mean, she she has this confidence that you know you clearly she clearly didn't have it split. I mean, why, given her situation, why would he, would she? And seeing that interaction, just her really standing up for herself into uh, the horde as a whole, was really fascinating to watch. And that gave her a lot of time to, to really show out. She's a damn good actress. I really hope she gets more roles because I really like I've liked her and just split in this. Um, this is where we're getting to where I think people are gonna have are either gonna love the movie or they're gonna or they're gonna fall more in line with the critics. I don't think there's a middle ground here. Um, so we get to the end of the movie, and of course, uh, the horde, uh, Mr. Glass, and uh, oh god, they, they called David the was it the overseer? The overseer, yeah. Which I which I went is a simple but an awesome you know kind of comic book. There was one I saw when they were listing like the newspaper headlines of the overseer. Mm. There was another term they gave him, and I don't remember what it was, but I actually kind of liked it a little better. But I get why overseer was chosen. It's not threatening. It's not, you know, anything like that. It's got that protective sound to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. And so, of course, they the, the three of them get outside the hospital because, you know, why wouldn't they? <laughs> and... The way that the Horde escapes Mr. Glass, I thought was so well done. There, there's a point where Mr. Glass, uh, uh, Elijah Price, and, and uh, Patricia have a conversation. And, you know, he asks, you know, man, meet the Beast. And she goes, you know, for your sake, I hope he likes you. So when he meets the Beast, first off, you pointed out last night, the voice they gave the Beast is fucking horrifying. It like, is. It, like, it's something like, it, it's some Slender Man shit. Where I was like, oh, okay, this is actually unnerving it feels very um it almost feels like very biblical like yeah. like like as far as like the tone and just how mm-hmm. um authoritative it is yeah um i love the, the the voice that uh mcavoy used yeah it's something that he did not give the beast in uh split and yeah man does it work fuck it really works well you got a little glimpse of it when she goes like like you're worthy, you are. Like you're broke, you're beautifully broken, or what have you. Yeah. Like you get a little glimpse of the voice, but he amped it up here, and I went, okay, I'm digging this. So when and there's just these points where the beast is grunting when he sees David and like pounding his chest. So it's like, okay, damn, yeah. <laughs> like run, run away. Um. So one of the big twists in this movie is that you know they they touch on the fact that. You know, this is the most comic booky of of the three movies by far. Uh, Unbreakable is a thriller with a comic book backdrop. Split is a horror movie with a comic book backdrop. This is really just a comic book movie with just a straight up comic book movie. I think some people will be disappointed in that. Um, to be honest, though, M Night's earned that at this point. He yeah, had, he he had two very like intentional. Uh, genre filmed with comic book backdrops. So if he wants to go f- more comic booky, I'm like, okay. And as you know, and while I li- I love something like Kick Ass, this is something very comic booky set in the real world. This is about as real world, you know, as you can get for a comic book film. You know, it, it you know you don't have people flying and shit. Like it, it's very it's as grounded as you can make something like this. Like yep. I, I believe. So when they escape the uh, the the hospital. You we, you get a good throwdown between uh, David and the beast, which I in uh, the horde, uh, the overseer, and the horde, which I thought was great. You get a nice hand to hand, 
and they're just throwing shit through, through into vans and shit. <laughs> like, okay, shit. Like, it's it's really intense. And just to jump back real quick, Mr. Glass, his outfit is just on point. He, he, he has this he has this purple jacket. I went, oh, I need that purple jacket. I was like, okay. He's got this little uh, little pin on his lapel, the, the, the MG. It's all blinged out because, you know. Black people love their bling, but I. But uh, it's very, it's very super villain though, and that's it what is. it needed to be. And it, it actually, like, I've read some reviews that people really knock the movie for his outfit, really, because it's too cartoon. Oh, I didn't think so. Well, I I see their point because it's pleather and it's all the you know all of those sort of things. It's very like out there, right? But if you actually read a comic book. How often, how often or not, like, is the villain or the hero in their outfit, like their uniform, unscathed the whole bit, even after a reveal, even after a comeback, they fit right into that old mold again. And it's just like, yes, it's a comic book trope, but embrace it as such and just get over it. Yeah. I'm sure there's the same people who said, Alfred Romano looked great as Doc Hawk in this outfit, but... Well, well, Bruce Willis (laughs) doesn't need to don the poncho. No. But he does anyway. Yeah. Like, especially at that last fight, he doesn't need to don the poncho. Yeah. Like, but again, he just does. And it's one of those things. Like, it's it's a trope, but it works. Yeah. Like, just let it alone. Leave it alone. Yeah. I, I, I agree. And, and so, the, the first twist is that there's this point where you see Joseph Googling about uh, Kevin Crumb's uh, Kevin Crumb's dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe they, they said the Clarence mom... is his name? I, I believe so. Um, so you see him Googling about him, and he you don't they don't show the computer screen, but he has this shocked look on his face, and I went, uh, oh, so actually, I always save spo- spoilers, but I cannot express enough right now. Full spoilers, so if you have not seen Glass, turn away now. Uh <laughs> Go see this movie, though, we will say, before we get to our actual final grades. Um, so, Joseph sees what he sees on the computer screen, and basically he figures out that Kevin's father was on the same train that Bruce Willis, uh, David David Dunn, was on. So, he was a part of the full, uh, was it 200 people who died on it that? It was something, yeah, it was a ridiculous amount. Yeah, uh, of that insane amount of people who died. Uh, on that train crash. So the fact is, uh, and Mr. Glass says perfectly, you know, I create, I create super uh, people, superpowers. I went, oh, that's haunting. And there's this point, pretty much right after he says that, where the horde goes, I, I thank you for what you did, but I can't trust you. And he punches Elijah in the chest. I went, oh, and then breaks his shoulder, breaks his shoulder first, and then hits him in the chest. I yeah. went, oh, damn, okay, like this is, this is intense and. So, uh, Mr. Glass dies because of those, uh, basically internal bleeding. Yep. He, di- he dies because of that. Um, the beast, uh, the horde gets shot by a sniper from nowhere, my head. Like, when he gets shot, you're like, oh, shit, okay. And then, uh, the overseer gets drowned in a puddle. So, all three people get killed. I went, well, that's shitty. And you find out that... Stupid Sarah Paulson was a part is a part of this organization that restores the balance. It's it's very Thanos sailing. My my, my said she she goes well you know like we're not supposed to have this power in this organization I'm a part of. I don't think they ever say the name of the organization by the way. I think they just I, I don't think they have to though. Yeah. 
I mean, you're curious, of course, and they could explore it later in a sequel, but, I mean, overall, they don't have to. The, the little tattoo on the hand is enough yeah. um, to show a sense of unity. But, I mean, it's it's an interesting concept about, like, how long they've been in place, because it sounds like a long-ass time. She even cites, what, 10,000 years? Yeah. But it sounds more like it's not even government-based is the thing. Which is the intriguing concept. Like. Yeah, it feels more faith-based. Yeah, and, and, and I'll... <laughs> so, I... So, this is what I will say about that. Because uh, if you have me as a Facebook friend, you know I've been having uh, arguments with some faith-based people <laughs> recently. The whole concept that there is an organization, let alone a faith-based organization, um, it took me back to something like, uh, honestly, like uh, Last Crusade, where I went... Yeah, I could buy that there is an organization out there that sees superpowered uh, powered men and women and goes, oh yeah, we can't have this, you know, because, you know, quote, God, unquote, wouldn't want it, or whoever they believe in or pray to. It's a very, the, the twist in logic in that is surprisingly easy. You just kind of go, yeah, yeah, I could see that actually. So when she cites that, you go, huh. That's almost very. That almost makes it more sinister because it's so realistic that something like that could exist. Um, and then the last big twist is that there's this point you see Elijah at a computer screen. He's typing these uh, commands. It's like Windows ninety five old school, like black screen and you know white letters. And so there's a point where Dr. Ellie has said, you know, there's cameras all over the place. You know, like there's nowhere you can go in this hospital that um, you won't be seen. And as soon as they said that, I went, all right, that's clearly, like, you know, it's like a gun in Hitchcock movie. You go, well, that's getting used at some point, you know. Yeah. So you know that's coming back. And basically, they rightfully so, after this whole, the whole, uh, everyone gets killed, they go, oh, well, you know, we have to erase his tapes. And Elijah, uh, he knew, he, if he got out, I'm sure he would have been like, cool. But he pretty much knew it was a suicide mission. So the, so the fact they all get killed all that footage got sent out to uh, his mother, yep. uh, Casey, and Joseph Dunn. And uh, it, it's really crazy that not only that they all get the footage, but you see them at the end of the movie at, at this train station, and you get to see the reactions of people on their phones, because, you know, I mean, we're, everyone's on their phones all the time anyway. And seeing that footage hit the net and go, Oh crap! And I'll be honest, dude. If that if footage like that came out tomorrow, you could not explain that away. If you saw someone bending a bar of steel like it's nothing, you go, "Oh, well, huh?" All right, <laughs> it's one of those things you have to have, you know, a really potentially tough conversation with yourself and go, "What do I believe in?" Because yep. you know, it's it's really intense, and the movie ends. About as, and I kind of use this term in, <laughs> kind of ironically, uh, happy as it could, because all things considered, because we lose these three characters. I'm sad we lost all three. I was like, uh, all right. But the justification of it at the end, I went, you know what? All right, that's uh, fair enough. You know, it, it at least warranted the deaths, if that makes sense. Because if it had cut off with just them dying and not giving us that kind of back end part, I would have been, I probably would have given this like a C, like a D plus to be totally honest, because I would have been, I would have been pissed. But the fact that the movie ends where it does, I went, you know what? Okay, fair enough. So 
getting my final thoughts here, uh, I gave it uh, I gave it a nine on your guys' podcast, and I, I I'm gonna fall right in line with that here. I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give this all an A. Um, it is the weakest I think out of three, as I mentioned earlier, but being the weakest doesn't mean that this is a bad film. And I think that the critics who are hating on this, uh, probably the same critics who like Aquaman, but I, but I, this is way better than Aquaman, by the way, for those oh people. Oh my god. Like, 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 I'm sorry, I know some people will be like, no, it's not, it is. It's better than Aquaman. Like, just off the dialogue alone, it's better than Aquaman. But, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the hell out of this. Uh, this will be a first day buy for me. And, you know, Lord willing, they put out a 4K, uh, you know, trilogy box set. I'll definitely buy it. So, yeah, this is a solid A for me. Uh, OJ, your final thoughts on Great Sir? Yeah, just a couple things I want to go over real Please. quick. Um, so, the fight scenes. Yeah. So, the two big fight scenes between, um, between the Overseer and uh, the Beast. I love the fact that they just didn't dive into... Like, M. Night could have just easily gone, yeah, David's really strong, he's all of this, but the Beast is just stronger, so therefore he could kill him. I'm glad they don't go that route, because both fights David has with the Beast, A, he's not breaking a sweat. B, there's points where he looks bored. And that's not a bad thing. It's the whole, like... Yeah, is that all you got? Like, I I can get out of this. And you see, like, the Beast's finishing move is that reverse bear hug, right? Yeah. Um, you see him put it all in for, for David in the very beginning. Yep. And other personalities have doubt about the Beast as an after effect. Yep. And I just love that from, like, just their faith is shaken. Because, and Patricia, she's like, where's the man in the poncho? Where, you know, like, yeah. clearly... She's afraid. Yeah. Um, so I just love every aspect about that. And I love the fight scenes in this. Like, it's very rooted. Um, the more I got thinking about it, um, I was going to knock it down a little bit more and maybe even amend my grade on on, um, on on the fly. But going back to the scene with David, um, Kevin, and... Uh, uh, Gla- what's Glass's real name again? Uh, Elijah Price. Elijah, thank yeah. you. I wanted to call him Isaiah. I'm like, that. no, that's yeah, not right. Yeah, too biblical, too. <laughs> too biblical. Um, well, Elijah do, but sorry, sorry go right. ahead. <laughs> still, though, um, the scene where they're all three together and David's the only one under restraint, the reason, the reason I'm leaning on, and I wish they would have just said it, like, you know the scene at the very end when David's about to be drowned in the puddle, um, she has, she's talking to him and she has him take his hand and, you know, like where she basically reveals to David in his dying moments that yes, super, super people are real and we're here for balance or what we feel is balance or not even balance is a wrong term for what she feels is balance. But what really is, is a chokehold as it were on ordinary people having the ruling word as it is compared to super people, which really this is Magneto's like nightmare come come to yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, That's a real good point. But in that though, oh god, there was something. Oh, even if she would have said this during his last moments, to where like you could have broke those chains at any time, but I nearly had you convinced you couldn't do it because if you go back to Unbreakable, 
Elijah goes on and on about David and, and like, the power of will. Yeah. Like, what you can do, um, as opposed to what you can't do. And I think that would have been a very good callback. Missed opportunity. I get why maybe it's too much in that moment to, to like, divulge. Yeah. But that's what I'm leaning on. Okay, that's fair. So, I'm going to give that where I would ding it a pass. Okay. Um... McAvoy is the he's the glue that holds this together. Yeah. Um, and again, like I said it on on my show that um, I feel that the third act was written first, and then everything else was written after it to kind of make it work. Yeah. So to me, I have to ding it for that because it's not quite as fluid as I would like it. I'm giving it an A minus. Okay. I'm giving it an A minus. Almost an A. Almost an A. Yeah. But, uh, like, it's not exactly... It's the slightest step below an A for me. And I, it's, like, the slightest step. I get that, because honestly, on instinct, I was going to go A- minus first. But just because of how I thought the ending did wrap up and went, okay, fair enough, A. Yeah. But, yeah, if someone would come up to me and go, like, like you know, if you saying A-, I go, you know what, that's fair, because I'm right on the cusp. Like, it, it, it's... it's the hair from dropping down a step to an eight minus for me. So Agreed. I, so I totally get where you're coming from. But so yeah, it's um, surprisingly good because this could have fallen apart six ways a Sunday. Oh God, there, there's about eight different places where I went. Okay, don't do this, and then it didn't. I was like, oh, okay. And uh, yeah, if, if they want to explore this universe, continue explore this universe, I'd be totally for it because. I think there's at least another movie's worth of stuff here where where you could, you know, explore that organization even. Or Yeah, uh, you could easily set up something where the organization is after Joseph, Casey, and uh, Elijah's mom. Easily. Just for the for what they did to expose it. Yep. Um, I still think it would be an interesting concept to have one of them have some sort of power. Um, yeah. where they're getting used to that and where Elijah used his own selfishness to shape a power in David Dunn before and does so again with uh, Kevin in this one. Okay. Because that's what he does. Yep. Uh, in both movies. Um, uh, with, you know, no real connection and split until the very end. But um, where the power being used to... Or the power being harnessed for something positive as opposed to something selfish... Or any of that, like you could make, you could make uh, Casey um, an empath, honestly, very easily. Yeah. Um, especially with how she has that real strong effect on Kevin. Now, granted, yeah, she's doing the whole Kevin Wendell Crumb bit to like, you know, to shake him, you know. But still, though, that's a very powerful thing with, especially with how primal and unpredictable the Beast is, and how submissive a lot of the personalities are to to the horde in general. yeah to the yeah. horde in general um and, you, and she still has to be able to break through though exactly so, i mean that's a power in itself so. exactly so i think you could easily explore that maybe even something with joseph in the sense of the question of no matter what power you give him you could literally give him anything the fact that like something could be passed down as a hereditary thing. You could use that as a plot device for the organization to try to go after him and kill him alone. All sorts of different things. It's a very interesting thing they can do. And you can make all three characters in this movie, the primary three, 
martyrs. Yeah. Including Glass. You could easily make him a martyr for what he did. And, mm-hmm. and therefore, now, is he really a villain? Yes, he killed so many people, but for... I mean, it's now he becomes Magneto. Yeah. Um, you know, Magneto does some terrible things. Yes, but he does. But you can argue justification on any of it for how mutants are treated in the X-Men universe. Yeah. So you could argue the same thing in this, and it works exceptionally well. So... If I'm M. Night, maybe you give this a couple year break, make another movie, ah, then I I dive back in. Yeah, I I think in I think within five years we'll at least get an announcement of him saying I'm gonna go back to this universe. I hope so. I, I would not. It took be a long time to go back the first time. So, yes, it did. Um, I'll tell you, I'll say this though. I think M. Night needs to bet on himself more than not. Yeah. Um. You know, like we touched on it super briefly last night. I think I would love to see him. Um, write and direct an episode of the uh, of the new Twilight Zone. I agree with that. Um, I would love that. And, and then, you know, the new Twilight Zone, that's going to be a hard one to do because, I mean, I think you have to do some remakes of old episodes. I Agreed. think you have to. Agreed. Not many, though. I would try to stay away from that as much as possible. Do more original stuff. Yeah, but give M. Night an original. Yeah. Give him an original. And I would stay away from just some other pro- just established properties. You know, I mean, everyone goes back to how he did Last Airbender. I've re- I've done some reading on that, and it sounds like the studio forced his hand in that he didn't even really want to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, he wrote a draft for Indiana Jones 4 many years ago. I would love to have read that. Um, but I I think Hollywood needs to start embracing M. Night a lot more. No, I... Well, it... it, it the, 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 the treatment he got with... Last Airbender reminds me of a lot of uh, Gavin Hood with X-Men Origins Wolverine. Because mm-hmm. then he comes out and does Ender's Game and you go, oh, Ender's Game is actually a pretty good movie. And it's like, yep. I, I feel like his hands were tied because of the sheer just massiveness of directing a Wolverine film. So he, he you know, I, and people forget, Christopher Nolan, uh, Warner Brothers took kind of a shot on Batman because Batman was such a damaged property. So Nolan, they kind of went, you can do a Batman movie, but... The shackles are on a little bit, but he still got to kind of encompass his vision. So yep. after that did such that 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 did so well, they left the shackles off for Dark Knight, and then of course the rest is history. So it's an interesting concept that maybe just M Knight was, you know, like you said, maybe he was just shackled so much by Last Airbender, you know, he couldn't do what he thought, you know, what is necessary to make that film as great as it needed to be. Yeah, like, it, it it wasn't of course, but um, yeah, I, I think he does need. I think he if he were to do a TV show, like if you were to do something more like smaller scale, like this, like I honestly, this new Mutants movie that's coming out, I'm not excited about it. But I think if that was a TV show and M Night was doing it with that darker tone, I would be actually intrigued by it. Yeah. I, as it stands now, I'm not excited for it, but but uh, yeah. So, uh, guys, have you seen Glass? Uh, let us know what you thought in the comments below. Uh, OJ, where can I find you, sir? Uh, you can find me in a couple different spots. Uh, my personal Twitter is uh, at the O to the J. That is T H E, uh, the letter O, the number two, T H E, and the letter J again. Uh, and of course, you can find me and my partner KJ on our on our uh, shared Twitter account. That is at KJ and OJ spelled out. That's K J A N D O J. And you can also find me on Twitch. I stream a lot these days. That's Twitch.tv backslash O to the J. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me. 
Boom, and you can find uh, yours truly on the Twitter at J Hunter Real Pineapple. You can follow Colin on Twitter at the Real O'Neill. You can follow our other colleague uh, Scott on Twitter at Nearman the First, and you can like us on Facebook at the Real Pineapple, and follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music at the Real Pineapple. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll have reviews up this weekend for Won't You Be My Neighbor, finally. I keep talking about how we're going to review that, and damn it, we're doing it this weekend. Um, we'll also have a review up for the, on the basis of sex, because I really wanted to see that. Uh, God, January is such a slow month. There's like nothing else. <laughs> so that so, I can catch up on stuff I want to see. But uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.